2: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Janet. And Janet grew up in a house filled with abuse, which eventually led her into the hands of a predator. It's a story of trauma, addiction, grooming, physical and sexual abuse, suicidal ideation, identity, and surviving it all. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, I have Janet. How are you?
1: I'm good. (laughs) Nervous, but good.
2: Well, everyone, I forgot to do my own intro of who I am. I am Brandon Chadwick. And if you want to be a guest on our show like Janet is today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, press the guest form button and follow the instructions. Or you can send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at com. And today, you are going to hear Janet's story. And this is a trigger warning for everyone. This story is not easy to hear. Janet has lived a very difficult life, and it starts off in the home. There is uh, physical abuse. There is sexual abuse. There is animal abuse. There's every type of abuse that could go on inside her home. So be warned right there. It's a big trigger warning, and it starts off right away uh, within that the the context of of the story. We start off right into it. So please, uh, if, if this isn't for you, you are warned right now that it's best maybe for you to turn off this episode and not start it to begin with. And then later on, we discuss uh, suicidal ideation. We discuss uh, suicide. Um, You know, someone within the story does uh, take their own life. Uh, There are a couple people that do. And as well, there is sexual assault later on when it comes to the predator that is involved in this story. But this story that Janet is about to tell about her life is, you know, she comes out on the other end and it's a story of hope for a lot of people that have gone through some traumatic things when they were very young, things that they did not deserve to go through. But Janet is a testament to uh, everyone uh, who has gone through this. And I, I'm just happy that she was on our show and, and shared her story. And also today at the end of Janet's podcast. It's a catch-up with a former guest named Mallory. So please do stay to find out what has happened to Mallory uh, within the time that she was on our show last year. I think it was February 1st, 2021. And uh, Janet is now about to tell her story. So a big thank you to Janet for being here. And now, without further ado... Janet, the floor is now yours.
3: okay, thank you. um My story kind of begins
1: when I was six um my Both my parents happened to be in the education system, and um I was
3: raped by one of my mom's coworkers' son um and I didn't tell anyone for two weeks after it
1: happened. And when I did tell my mom, um, nothing was reported to the police. She went to talk to the man's mother and she recommended the same counselor her son was going to. So I ended up going
3: to the same counselor that my rapist went to when I was six. Um, after that, um, I w- started, oh, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> well, it's hard to say that right? loud. <laughs> um, my dad, um, at age eight, started to sexually assault me. Um, my
1: dad was very abusive, very physically violent, very emotionally abusive. Lots of yelling happened in our household. Growing up, CPS was called. Very, very often, police uh, would come to our house a lot. Um, and nothing would happen when CPS got called. They, um, My parents would make us clean the house till it was was super clean and then when cps would come because my parents got notified before cps came when cps did come they didn't find anything wrong and so it was just a cycle of being notified that cps was going to come us staying even staying home from school at times to clean um doing large batches of laundry at the laundromat Throwing away lots of food um, I guess just to give a little idea uh my parents are both porters, so having to clean up a hoarder's house is, is never fun it, as as a child it's never easy and uh, oftentimes things got stuffed into closets um so that that it would no longer longer be there. The abuse continued until I was twelve and when I was twelve, I couldn't really cope with it anymore. I needed an outlet I started self harming when I was eight and um, when all the sexual assault stuff happened with my my dad and I started smoking and drinking when i I was twelve and really just start
3: rebelling and I had a lot of suicidal thoughts um and I remember. My parents, like my dad, he was an alcoholic, and um, I just remember, like, finding alcohol from him, but also
1: my boyfriend that I had at the time at school, and for me, it was super easy to find it in a super religious town that, that isn't okay with alcohol. It was super easy to find, and um when i when i was 12 i made my first trip to the mental hospital
3: and i stayed there for about 2 weeks and i i remember the counselor there he um he he told me sorry <laughs> he he told me that i did it all
1: for attention and um i don't know why that stuck with me but Throughout my life, that is something that has always stuck with me. That
3: sometimes the counselors, what they say isn't always the nicest. um, And just that you can't always trust what they say. I, um, I was in
1: and out of hospitals, mental hospitals, until I was 19. And I attempted suicide multiple
3: times um one time I tried committing suicide in the mental
1: hospital and that's when I got sent to state hospital to a state hospital and um there I met some friends one of which um you're not supposed to have contact outside of the hospital but I I, we had switched numbers and I had kept in contact with him. And, and at this point in my life, I was 14. We were both very suicidal, um, even when we got released from the hospital. I got very good at telling the doctors what they wanted to hear so that I could just get out. I got very good at pretending to be someone I wasn't or just giving them what they wanted to you know, I guess, protect myself, but this, this boy and I, we made a suicidal pact, but I decided not to go through with it, and that's been something
3: that's really hard for me, is holding on to that guilt, um, you know, realizing that that's not my fault, realizing that that's a choice he made, that I could have done things differently but I was also a kid Um, so that's just something that has been really hard for me still now um, is having someone
1: close to me commit suicide and how that impacted me for the future
3: the surrounding his death anniversary, I I don't do much. Um, I get really sad. Um, But I also realized that no matter how I feel, that that's
1: that's not my fault, that I I can't carry that anymore. That's not my
3: burden to carry anymore. And so I've had had to come to terms with that. Um, sorry. I I feel like I keep jumping around. Um, Oh, I feel like,
2: okay. Sorry. Take your time. This is, this is an easy thing to do.
3: Uh, um,
1: I guess just going back to my family life, I should have gone in more detail in
3: the beginning, but, um,
2: You can tell that now.
3: Okay. (laughs) Um, I,
1: I, so my father has bipolar. My mother has manchism by proxy. I have two brothers
3: with autism. And my grandma... Had a gambling addiction. My dad's also an alcoholic,
1: and so they're and they're also hoarders. They also like it's their their houses are it's awful, um, and so those were just kind of the conditions I I grew up in. um I you know I I grew up with animal abuse,
3: um. And so at at times, I, I guess I just have gotten so numb to
1: the animal abuse that when I got older, when, you know, cats would get slammed in the door or they would get kicked or thrown or whatever happened to them, it was just normal.
3: It didn't bug me. And my dad cheated on my mom. He lied about being sober. he
1: often watched child pornography um in the
3: same room i was in um and then the like of course the sexual assault um and my mother
1: my mom she i feel like i my counselors told me that she's also like a Covert narcissist, yeah. So she, she is kind of like, um as a child, she would always comb my hair and and make it all pretty, and and I just felt so I felt like a doll. I felt like I was hers. I belonged to her. That's that's what my identity was. And between that and my dad, I I didn't think I had an identity. I didn't know who I was. I lost who I was. I was whoever I needed to be in the moment to be safe. Um, She would take me to many doctors growing up, and none of them would listen to what I had to say. It was always hers. Even if I told them that I don't have these illnesses, um, it was always always what what she wanted and and I would do tests after tests after tests
3: and um nothing i i mean they they diagnosed me with many different me- medical issues
1: but i i tried telling my mom that i don't need it and eventually i would just use the medication that the doctors gave me as an escape because i realized that if i if I took it, it made me feel high. So I would take it and get high. And so I, I started doing that along with the, drug with the, the alcohol and smoking, and I altogether I became two different people. I, I, I guess not more more than two, but but two really. One with my mom and and a different person with my dad. I, I became the. The perfect daughter you know that my counselor has said that it's like um an incestual bond or whatever but it's it's like I just became whoever he wanted me to be and then for my mom I had to be the perfect the perfect daughter and um growing up I I thought I was was gay and I I to this day, I, I identify as bisexual, but I feel like a big part of that, um, was just how much I hated the thought of my dad or like the trauma that was caused through him. Um, and it was, it, there was times where my mom would see it and do nothing, how she enabled him to do it. And, um... So that's just a bit about my childhood. Those were the, like the big main events. Um really like my mom, she put me in a special school uh because she thought I had um because of her manchism by proxy, she had convinced people that I was mentally disabled. And so I went to the special school and I didn't need to be there. There was absolutely no reason. The people there said there was no reason for me to be there. Uh, but she had convinced the doctors that that's that's what I I needed, and I will never forgive her for that. When I when I turned eighteen and I graduated high school, I started dealing drugs, um,
3: just just weed. I I started uh selling it under someone and um then I decided to go to college and at college I had met a group of friends
1: and one of those friends had committed suicide by overdosing on drugs so this would have been the second friend I had that committed suicide in my life and after that the the friend group kind of split in two and I it, we got I got in a fight with them and I ended up at the mental hospital And this is my my last trip that I've had to the mental hospital but there was a a man at school that was 42 and when I got back from the mental hospital that's when I started my relationship with my
3: ex, and he—he he is a narcissist. Um. So I, I, um, I guess I just want to talk a little bit about that relationship with him. Um. So I thought he was forty-eight, and after
1: I broke up and. And went to the police. I found out that he was sixty-eight. And throughout the relationship, he would often, like the first week we were dating, he just made me like he made me feel so happy. It was so like, oh, I was you know, like this older man wanted me. You know, I'm finally wanted in life. I finally feel like I belong. And when i went on a trip um out of state he went to find um a girl's house that was 3 hours away with a friend who was 17 and i was like okay yeah like whatever that's fine Um, sure. I mean, I guess I noted it as a red flag, but I was so happy to have, like, someone who loved me, I thought, um, that I I didn't really care. And, um, the abuse just kept getting really, really bad. Um, he and I did long distance for about half a year. And, If I didn't call him at certain times, he would nonstop text me and call me and call me names and call me all these different things. And um, I was forced to pay his bills, even from far away. Um, He expected me to show him text messages of anyone I was texting, you know, and... I had to call him on my breaks at work. I had to, you know, all, all these different things, you know, we, there was sexual things that I was told I had to do like videos and, and uh, zoom things that, that we ended up doing. And I was, I was so happy to have someone who loved me, but then, then it, then after about six months, it, it, It turned really bad it once he got
3: back to the school um I realized that that this was not what I wanted anymore
1: and I I didn't know how to get out of the relationship but he started hitting me and punching me um I had bruises all over my arms uh I had black eyes. I would go to work, and my manager at work—I
3: um, worked at, at a cafeteria at the school—and my manager at work, uh, he gave me a card for the Women's Violence Center in the city
1: that I was in, and I was like, "No, I, I don't need this. I don't. I don't need this. Like, I, I'm fine." And and he could tell that it was that, and.
3: Then it went from physical assault to sexual assault, and
1: I had a black eye and marks all over, and uh, I, that's, that's when I knew I, I, I was stuck in a rock and a hard spot. I didn't know how to get out, but I needed it out. And then I tried breaking things off for another three months. It took me three months to be able to fully block him and break things up. Um, and then I, I, about six months to seven months later, I, I reported him to the police. And um, there was a whole semester of school where we were separated. And I always felt like something was up. And it turns out there was a private investigator that he had hired to follow me around during that time.
3: During that whole time, where he found the money for that, I have no idea. I, I mean, sorry.
2: It's okay. And this <laughs> is this is really hard to do. And so, just you know, take your time. If we need to take a break, or if you want to stop, just let me know.
3: Okay. Um before before he left for that semester, he had cheated on me with a 17-year-old girl. And I was 19 um at this time. And or no, excuse me, I was I would have been 20. I would have just turned 20. And It made me sick, too, my
1: stomach. And I just remember being so angry and begging her to go to the police, begging her to tell someone because I I didn't have enough strength. I was so scared of him that I just let him, I guess, get away with these things. And knowing what I know now, of course, I wouldn't have. But I was a different person back then. I was still smoking. I was still drinking. I was... There were so many things that I was still
3: doing that weren't, I I just let myself do. And um, I guess
1: this is kind of the point where I want to talk about, like, overcoming things.
2: So before um, we get to that, um, you know, you went through... More than most, growing up. Uh, in every way, with no one really to trust, and you went through, you know, the mental health issues that came with everything, addiction issues that were happening, self harming, that was happening, and you got to, uh, you know, a place where you were just you were surviving. You didn't know who you were. You were confused about your sexuality on top of that because of everything that happened. And you survived. And it's a testament to you that you survived. I know you have a lot of guilt with what happened when you were younger at that time. And you did nothing wrong. And you should know that you did nothing wrong. And I just want to reiterate that you've done nothing wrong. Everyone around you always failed you and not just failed you uh you were abused from when you were born until that time by everyone and then even within the people that you were hanging out with who might have been your friends no one there was healthy you know you were surrounded by people that were in unhealthy spots And then you have a relationship with someone who is preying on kids, Um, and you survive through that, and it's a tough thing to do. And you're sitting here with me, and you're talking with me today, and you are telling me your story, and, you know, I've known you for almost a year now, (laughs) and... For people that can't see you, I mean, you have a wonderful smile, and you have a beautiful presence about yourself, and you—I can see this light in you, and the others that know you, who I know who know you, including I know your mother-in-law.
3: Yes. <laughs> um, yes.
2: We all see this light in this beautiful. Person, and it is heartbreaking to know that you went through all of that, and it's it's something that all of us ninety nine like so many of us have no experience in what you went through, and you made it you just made it through and it's it's just a testament to who you are that you're here and we're happy that you're here to tell us the rest of your story because the rest of your story is um you know wonderful in the sense of you know just finding out who you are and i know your mother-in-law is just really proud of you for being here and talking to me because what you're doing is not easy you know people can't hear that you you know or they can't hear that you're you're, you laugh here and there and it's a nervousness as well because telling your story here isn't easy but you know from beginning to end today what you're doing here is inspiring and i know a lot of people no matter what even at this point of your story are just behind you a hundred percent and we're all here for you and this community um is for people like you and you're giving back to the people who are listening who might have gone through something similar. So I just want to, you know, right now, just thank you and just being here with us.
1: Thank you. Uh, That means a lot. I, that's kind of what I hope by sharing my story is that even if I can help one person, then, then it's all worth it. You know, everything that All the emotions I'm having right now, I I had to take an anxiety medication before I did this, but um, even that, like, it's all worth it if I can just help one person just move a little bit farther in their recovery, because that's all I want. That's all I can hope for.
2: So I guess from here, I guess, take us in a little bit of steps like how that relationship first ended and and then like the actual break off of how it ended and then um where your recovery began
1: okay um so um it took me 3 months to be able to break up with him i tried multiple times we tried being friends we tried all these different things i um i was still i was living at my parents house during this breakup so i had that on top of all of 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 the breakup.
3: And um I I didn't have much support. Um I didn't have a good support
1: system. I didn't have very many friends that weren't alcoholics. And I was I was also trying to get sober during this time. So I was trying to get sober, I was trying to break up with a narcissist and I was living with narcissists. So it was a very dark period in my life i was i i i was self harming regularly um and i i would pull myself into work i would work as much as i could just just to get away from it
3: all um trying to numb the pain um by not having to think about it and um, eventually it just got to the point where I told him I was gay that
1: I told him I was gay and that I was, I was going to go on a mission for my church, which both were a lie. <laughs>
3: um, but I had to lie to him and then block him. And
1: that is how it ended. And it's still, Kind of goes on today. I I I fear I I got a service animal. Um, for health reasons and for for mental health reasons. Um, because I would go into panics, and I would I would hide because I'm scared of him coming and finding me. He threatened to kill my family if I broke up with him. He threatened to kill me. He threatened to hunt me down when I was older and make me suffer. And I, I when I was reporting it, it I had told um, an RA at, at, uh, at campus, and she had told her her boss, and it. so it wasn't really something that I wanted to do, but it was something that I was convinced to do. And I am so glad I reported it because nothing came of it, but the fact that I was able to report it has given me power over it, like. It took the power away from him and made me from victim to survivor. Like, I
3: survived that. And that's how, that's why I encourage anyone to just report because reporting, even if they don't do anything, even if the cops are are awful,
1: even if they don't believe you, that can help you. Like, that gives me the power back. Um, that's, that's how I felt. And so that's just a little bit about it. And still to this day, he's made fake Facebook accounts. Um, he's had friends call me, message me. I had to get a new phone number. Um, I got another new phone number. I've had to get four different Facebook accounts. I had to rechange my Google account because he hacked into it twice. Um, and this was even after I was married to my now husband, this thing still go on. Like he, he had messaged me. What like he had a friend messaged me while while I was married, and this would be two years later. So, it's like he never gives up. It's like somehow in his twisted mind, he thinks that I'm going to come back to him. Um. So I guess the story with him, I don't, I believe, will ever end. I I know it is gonna be a long healing process of not being terrified that someone's gonna come into the apartment if I don't double check all the
3: doors. Um being scared that he's gonna rape me again, being terrified if he knows where I'm at. Um I don't think that that's gonna that's gonna take a long time, but I I
1: feel like I, I took the power back by all the healing I've done, all
3: the counseling work that I've done. Um.
2: Yeah. So after uh, the relationship is over and you're out of it, you still have addiction issues, I assume, and you still have self-harming Yes. issues as well. So I guess take us along the path of how you went about um cuz your parents i i i I think are still in your life at this point. Uh, at that point after that relationship?
3: Yes,
1: yes.
2: So take us through um how they are still involved, what happened there and how you went on your road to recovery and to eventually try and have them not be a part of your life.
3: Um. So um, I was in my alcohol addiction until,
1: um, until the middle of May um, of that year. And rec- trying to recover from being an alcoholic when your father is an alcoholic, and going through all of this was not easy. Especially when I didn't have any support system. I had work friends, and and that's it. And I, I dug deep into religion, um, and God, um, and that's what I truly believe healed me. I did my religions 12 step program and by myself. And eventually I just told myself that this, that was it. The last time I drank, that was it. I didn't like how it made me feel. I didn't like how I lost control, but I I am still self-harming. And even to this day, even to today, I still struggle with self-harm. It's something that I, 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 I'm not sure will ever fully go away for me because it's been my outlet since I
3: was eight um for almost 20 years um but um it just came down to kind of willpower like mind
1: over matter like being like I did not like that life alcohol led me to so many bad choices I I was at when at one point when I was in that relationship and we were long distance, I had worked
3: at a, a state park and um, I was roofied and taken to a different state.
1: And it was this whole mess and I couldn't report it to the cops. I had to go to the doctor and, and I was sexually assaulted there too. And um, so alcohol has made me not make bad choices. I know that's not my fault, but it has made me put myself in situations that so so sober me would not have let myself be into. And so it took me a whole summer, well, probably over a summer, even until last April, a year ago, I was still craving alcohol. So it, it took me about a year Fully not want it but I mean sobriety is more than just abstinence right like it's I believe it's healing and I I still believe I'm healing from all of that trauma but as for like my me getting sober I count that as as that whole summer and then the trimester after um and just like my parents were not Um, like our religion really condemns it. And so my, my mom was not very supportive about it. I, I, it was hard because it was like, anytime my dad would do something, I immediately wanted to go to alcohol and I would just lock myself in my room and, and not come out. That's just kind of what I had to do is I just kind of had to separate myself from the world and just kind of focus on me. And it, it, it wasn't easy when I have, you know, my mom and my dad and uh, two brothers with autism. It was, it was not an easy situation to get sober in, especially when my dad was an alcoholic, but I, I believe that, you know, just D I dug my heels in really deep and just had to make that choice that this is what I want for my life that's where I want to be and that's where what I need to do to get it um once I I stopped doing that it's kind of hard to explain but my life kind of took a 180 turn if if that's if that makes sense it went from this really dark hard time for me and I went really hard into my church I was at a different school so I was out of my parents house at this time going to school and you know, being able to, uh, participate more in my church, um, and I guess just finding that peace that I needed, but at the same time, I was being very promiscuous with, with guys, and, um, just different
3: guys, guy after guy, after guy, after guy, I dated, and um so it, it it's like
1: I still had issues that i I didn't really realize were issues because that was something that I've been my whole life i was very uh, i was very promiscuous with everyone, well, not everyone but
3: like multiple men and um realizing that I needed a heal and and
1: finding better friends, finding friends who weren't who who were sober or or finding friends who were, who didn't have that addiction, who were healthy, who were my age, who were supportive in me. Um, and then I, I, um, about a a semester later, I found my, my now husband and he was like, I guess the turning point for me. Um, at this point, I, my parents, I wanted I knew I didn't want to have them in my life anymore. They were just really bad. And I knew if I had them in my life, I couldn't keep sober. That if if they were in my life, that I I, I would go down the same path I had just come out of. And so I I it took me a couple of weeks to realize that. And once I realized it, I I kind of told my mom, you know, I think I just need some space to work on on myself, you know but then it became like my, my husband was so supportive when we were dating. Um, and having him there to help me be like, you know, I'm like, Oh, I want to call my mom. No, that's not a good idea because I I had that trauma bond with them. It was so strong. I cried so much. And my youngest brother not being able to see him, not being able to talk to him anymore, was something I struggled with most. Or like disappointing them, or like they're going to be angry with me if I do this. And so it took me a long time, and still now I struggle with it. There's points where I'll break down and I'll call. So I I, I consider myself low contact with them as as of now, even though I want to be no contact, but I struggle because i feel like if i if i don't talk to them i'm a bad daughter but i know that's not the case um when i was going low contact with them i had my mother in law who who was so supportive she she was so supportive of it and you know i i had i had moved in um in there and having that support of my my then fiance or boyfriend at the time And her and her family, and that's my family now. And just realizing what a normal family functions like, like what a healthy family goes like functions like was something that I've never seen. Like, um uh I remember one time like like bleach had gotten spilled on the floor and, and there was no yelling and that was just like what like that would have been a death sentence like i would have been sleeping outside with the cats which is something that often was a punishment for us like it was so surprising to me that the like accidents happen or that like they were calm like realizing what a healthy like family relationships look like or healthy boundaries even look like is something that i've never had Before, and so it's it's kind of learning how to be a new person. It was honestly learning new things. It was like I know they talk about rewiring your brain. That's how it felt. It it was like um, all these things my parents had told me about, like that were normal or that uh, like to judge people. Like I knew now that that wasn't normal. Like that wasn't okay these These things aren't okay like it it's okay to like talk about your feelings, and that's something that i I struggle with with most was was sharing my feelings, but in that environment in that's like a normal safe space family, I was able to do that, and I think that's what really helped me with my me not being able to, like like me getting away from my family is that my mother-in-law understood what, who a narcissist
3: is, what they're like, and then was able to support me through that.
2: So, you know, I know your mother-in-law. She's pretty and, awesome. <laughs> so, sorry, say that again.
1: Oh, she's pretty awesome.
2: <laughs> and I met your mother-in-law A year and a half ago, and your mother in law is a light. She really is. And um, she's my friend. You know, I I had a conversation with her, or I think by text, uh, I think like a month and a month and a half ago, and she sent it to me. And she said, "Like, I, are we friends? Like, I, I she goes, I consider you my friend now." And I go, "We're friends. We're we are friends." And she's this just really bright light and this beacon. And she herself went through her own trauma, and she knows what it's like to be a child. To have gone through a lot of things, and she really loves her kids. And she, uh, even though I've never been in the physical presence with her, you can feel it coming through the screen when you talk to them, when you talk to her. And she's just a wonderful person. And, you know, in your journey, sometimes you go through terrible things and then you meet more like worse and worse but you happen to land now within this family context to finally learn what this love what love is right? and you think or, or, you know, you you know that you're lucky to have her. But she's also, I know she knows, uh, she's told me that she's lucky to have you. And she really does love you. Like, for, you know, unconditionally uh, for who you are. And it's, um, I'm happy that you have been able to find that and find them and start to become you because in it which is I guess my next question would be for you is you know you've gotten married and you got into this relationship you, you found um, you know God and you live your life within the church but in the healing process because there's still a healing process for you and you have good days And then you have bad days. And I know you have bad days. And, you know, sometimes you might, you know, you're dealing with your own thing and you might disappear for a little whatever you're doing, but you're working on things. And then even the first time we tried to do this recording, you were having a bad, not just a bad day. I think you were having a good, solid, bad week. Yeah. And you know you're you're going through the ebbs and flows of healing from very traumatic events, and so the process of that working with your therapist, you now have a service dog uh, how has it been trying to figure out who you are as a person, and so far, what have you found out that you didn't know before?
1: I'm still trying to figure out who I am um I I I like video games I never thought I as a kid we weren't allowed to watch video games there's a lot of things we weren't allowed to do as a child um and I like eating healthy I like I like the way that it makes me feel when I eat healthy I we ate fast food almost every day growing up that was just something that we did and now that's something that I realize that I I like doing, and I like living in a clean house, like almost religiously clean. Like
3: I I like having that spot where it's it's clean, it's safe for me. Um, I I still like country music, but
1: I don't any longer associate it with my parents because they would listen to country music. Um I listen to it because I actually enjoy it. It's something that I I enjoy. I listen to like podcasts or or YouTube Reddit stories that I I enjoy. I enjoy listening to other people people's stories in life and having them share. Um I really like the color blue. Um my mom would tell me all the time that you know my pink would should be my favorite color or that my curls I can't cut them because of my curls and I've learned that because I have ringlets in my hair and because um I I would cut my hair and cut my hair and make it short because I, I hated people looking at my ringlets and now I have my hair long because I I like it not because anyone else likes it. And so it's those things where it's like
3: Trying to find out who you are after you don't know who
1: you are is hard. You have to kind of experiment with different things. And you might like something one day and then not like it the next. And that's okay, but you can go back to that. Like different shows. I'll go back from really watching TV to reading books to doing different crafts to not doing crafts. It's 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 me trying to find hobbies that I enjoy and things that I enjoy like I my mom is a compulsive shopper because they're hoarders and um, I used to hate shopping but now I realized within reason I do enjoy going window shopping I enjoy seeing what they have and and looking at the cute things that doesn't mean I have to buy everything that's in the store you know and so I guess that's kind of like realizing who I am is still part of my journey now um but i i i had my church i had left it for five years during all well most of this was going on with my ex and coming back, I realized that that's something I'm very passionate about is my church, and so that's what I want to do now is is be a teacher in my in my church and it's it's something that that I've been passionate about or like, um, I don't know, like horror movies. I love horror movies. I was never able to watch them as a kid. So I guess it's those things that I guess it's just kind of trial and error trying to, you know, do I like this? I might like this one day and, you know, this another day and that's okay. Like being okay with the ebbs and flows of recovery is something that I've had to be with. like, I've had to tell myself I'm having a really bad day today, but tomorrow I might have another bad day. I might have a good day and that's okay. You know, if today goes brighter, okay. And if not, then I can be easy on myself, especially with, I have a lot of health issues that I'm going through right now and trying to be compassionate about like some days they're not as bad as others. That's how it is emotionally too.
2: And when it comes to your relationship with your husband and the trauma that you suffered and the reactions to uh, everything in your life because you're you're still in the healing process, what for you have been uh, the biggest issues in relating with each other and the things that you've had to learn to um, – Uh, you know, within the context of, of, of that type of relationship of what was, is unhealthy and what you were doing that was unhealthy and how do you two work together, um, to resolve everything?
1: Boundaries and communication is something that I feel like have been the biggest struggles for us. Um, trying to navigate going to school and jobs and 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 you know I guess new married life um, is never easy for anyone. But like sexually, it, it's very difficult for me because his love language is physical touch. And oftentimes, when I'm having a bad day, or sometimes when I'm having a good day, and you know I'm 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 just getting out of a shower or whatever. And he's like, "Oh, you look nice." I'm like, "Why? Why do I look nice? What, what What do you want from me? Like, what? Like, I get very defensive. Um, I guess I I get protective over myself, and that's 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 um something that we're still working on. Is, is building that trust of of each other, and it's something that I think trust is is built over time, and it, it's slow. Um.
2: But within the context of what has happened to your, your whole entire life, it's it's understandable, and that's not doing justice that this this would be an issue for you. Um, yeah. So, you know, your your husband realizes this, obviously. I assume. Yeah. Yeah. So it's you know it's not something to be feel shame or or guilt upon as far as trust goes. Um, because it makes, it just, just makes sense that this would be, be a problem. Like this would be an issue.
1: Yeah. Um, and I mean, we've, we've learned a lot about communication. We uh, try to do like a daily garbage, like just get all our daily garbage out, uh, what we're going through. And, and, you know, I, I still struggle with self-harm and I realize that that, that hurts him. And I never really realize that that could hurt anyone else like that's something that for me has always been like no that that can't hurt you that's what I do right like um but seeing me get hurt because he loves me is something new for me like like understanding I guess that's what something I struggle with understanding that he actually cares and loves me which like sounds stupid but realizing that um he's there for me and that he loves me and trying to work together to be like this is this isn't the ideal relationship you know this isn't like the hollywood version or like you know the relationship that's portrayed by society but this is our relationship and and we're doing the best that we can you know um i think he's he's more understanding um than than most people uh because of my mother-in-law he he understands a lot and he's very he's a very compassionate person um and so just navigating the fact that like i have ptsd i have ocd um i have adhd the, the list of of my meta- mental illnesses goes on because i i i've had so many many things that happened and I guess just the fact that, like, he's so accepting of my past um, has really helped. And that's something that I I could not, I guess that, that's that's something that I would suggest everyone do is just find a friend who is accepting of who, who you are, who you were, and who you are now. Because he understands that I'm not that same person, but he accepts that that's who I was then.
2: So we're almost done, you know, usually we'll go to the words of wisdom at this point, but before we do that, you've now told your story from beginning to end, and your relationship with your parents is low contact, because I know... Based upon talking to you before that when they do contact you, it's always like, it's, it's a, it's a big deal and it really hits the trauma and like a collapse can happen from there. And it's something that you're, you're dealing with, but now you've been able to tell your story here from beginning to end. Um, So how was this experience for you? being able to, to finally do that.
1: Um, it was, it was really hard at first. I kept putting it off. I got really scared. Um, but it was so like, right now I feel relieved. Like I feel calm. I feel excited and I feel like happy, I guess. It's weird, you know, think, thinking about talking about trauma would it make me be happy but knowing that my story is out there and that no one can stop me from sharing it no one that I am no longer a victim to these guys that I am a survivor and I'm telling my story because I've survived these things you know it's like if someone was on a boat and their boat crashed you know they're just happy they're alive they're happy to tell that story you know that's how that's how i feel is that i survived a shipwreck and I, i'm telling the story of how you know the kraken came and, and then attacked the ship <laughs> if that makes any sense i i feel like i guess i would suggest everyone doing this just because it's 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 helped me but also you know if there's one person out there who can like who this can help, or who it can give peace, or who can relate it, or you know I guess comfort or you know um I guess just find relief in knowing that they're not the only one then it then it was worth it
2: and if you have any words of wisdom or advice for everyone listening, what would it be?
1: um just be gentle on yourself, you know be be kind and empower your own self you know and i guess just putting yourself first that's kind of what you what i think everyone needs to do is we need to put ourselves first and then be kind to everyone else
2: well janet i really again i just want to say like thank you um for being here with us today, for sharing your story. Everyone who is listening uh, right now is giving you uh, the biggest hug and uh, thanking you for being so brave and you are strong and brave going through everything and you're strong and brave uh, going through your recovery process because the recovery process isn't easy and you've gone through addiction all of the types of abuse that you've been through, self harming and everything there. And we all know that you're going to, um, you know, find out exactly who you are and that you are taking your power back with a lot of the things where you were told, or you're reframing a lot of the things that had a negative connotation to it. And that's nice to hear that you're, you're taking those things back for you and you're doing all the right things and you're, you're working at it every day, just like you're, you know, as they say with addiction, you have to work on it every single day and you're, and you're working really hard and to uh, overcome everything you've been through and overcome the trauma, which is not easy to do when you're doing it at a very young age. and, Everyone who's listening is behind you and your mother-in-law is behind you. I know she is so, so proud of you right now for talking to us and sharing your story because I know she believes in you more than anyone and she loves you. We love you. Everyone listening loves you. So thank you so much for being here with us today.
1: Well, thank you for having me. (laughs)
2: So a big thank you to Janet for sharing her story. That was not easy for her to do. So once again, a big thank you. And now we are going to hear the update uh, for uh, Mallory's story from February 1st, 2021. Well, everyone... The other day, I got a note from a former guest named Mallory about giving an update about her life and what her life was like after being on the show, what the show was for her, and uh, you know everything under the sun. And there was a divorce that didn't happen yet, so we're going to find out uh, everything. And, and Mallory is with me here right now, listening to me say this. Mallory, how are you?
0: I am good. Thank you so much for allowing me to be on this podcast again and share an update with everybody.
2: So just give everyone like a brief overview. And uh, for those of you who want to go to listen, who want to listen to Mallory's story from beginning to end, it's from February 1st, 2021. Is that correct? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And I'm asking <laughs> my mem I'm doing it off the top of my head. <laughs> um, so what's been happening since uh, the day your podcast uh, debuted on our show?
0: Well, um, when I had the podcast um, and I did that, that was, you know, very healing for me, you know, to talk about my story and the comments that came from everybody listening to my story and how it resonated. Um, just to give a quick update, you know, I, w- I had met an amazing man that, you know, just, just now I know mirrored everything about me. Um, it moved very quickly. And we got married a year later. And once I married him, that's when everything started to change. Everything became very controlling, a lot of gaslighting going on. Um, I started thinking, oh, am I crazy? Um, and he started brainwashing my son as well. If you anybody that has listened to my story knows that, um, my son wasn't speaking to me um and he was uh his wife was pregnant with my grandbaby and so uh when i finished the podcast at that time you know i think i was the first one that had ever come on that had talked about a family member you know uh not not speaking to them because you know they're believing everything so my uh, my grandbaby was actually born um, in February, and my son actually reached out to me to let me know she had been born. So I asked him, please let me come visit. Um, you know, I hadn't been allowed to go to the baby shower at Christmas. He didn't speak to me. But I was very lucky. He did let me come and see the baby when she was about a week old. And so I was able to get a picture of me holding her. And then probably right around Easter, I was able to go visit again. Um, and then after that, that was it um, you know, he went back to being silent and ignoring me, um, my son. And then, uh, yeah. And then now actually they're, he, they're expecting baby number two and, uh, and I've tried and tried and tried, um, reaching out, letting them know what my intentions are. I love him unconditionally. I'm there for him. And he just believes everything that my ex told him. Um, after, our call last year, I had not even gone to court yet. Um, you know, going through a divorce with a narcissist is not an easy thing, um, because it's all about their control. Um, so I had to go to court. Um, the first time I went to court, I mean, my heart was pounding out of my chest. I mean, I was just terrified to see him, but as it turns out, he, he, didn't want to see me, and he kind of just stayed like down the hallway around the corner um but he just kept pushing court out, pushing it out um finally got him to agree um you know to what I was asking for, which wasn't much it was just basically I was just trying to get what i get out of what I came into the marriage with um so the divorce was finally finalized in August of twenty twenty one um but everything we agreed to he is still not followed through on um and so I'm still dealing with that. And now it looks like I'm probably going to have him back to court. Um, but through this journey, um, I learned to be a survivor. I learned that I'm not a victim. I uh, started a book club when I was going through all of this um, about healing from hidden abuse um, that I had men and women in. Um, and that was very therapeutic, not just for me, but for everybody in the group. And then from there, I just started self-discovery. I started learning self-love. I started trying to understand why I was picking relationships that were toxic and just started doing a a ton of inner work on myself to transform myself and just learn who I am. And I took all summer just kind of went by myself. I I moved to another state um, and took that time just to kind of get to know people Uh, you know, find positive people to be around me. I started taking classes and just trying to learn more about myself and connecting with myself. Um, And then I kind of had a light bulb moment where I thought, you know, I'm going to go back to school. I really am passionate about helping people. And so I went back to school um, to get my certifications to become a life coach. And so that's my passion now is um, just working with men and women who are struggling the way I was, you know, just feeling stuck in life. You know, why does this keep happening to me, you know, and, and help them gain confidence and self-love, you know, so they can live their best life without feeling guilty or selfish. Um, Because I've gotten to that point and I know that there's a light in the tunnel. So that's kind of my purpose now is to help other people see that light and live their best life and get through it. Because they can, they can get through it.
2: And what was the... Biggest thing you learned about yourself on why you were going into these types of relationships and how did you figure out how to reprogram uh, your brain when it came to that specific issue?
0: Yes, it, it, it was hard and it was definitely a journey. Um, I started digging in, you know, and doing a lot of inner child work um, and trying to, re- and I realized that it actually stemmed from, from my upbringing with my mom. Um, you know, my mom would give me silent treatments. My mom would give me guilt trips. And I realized throughout my whole life, every relationship that I chose was basically like a mirror image of how my mom treated me. And that's all I knew. And to me, that was normal. You know, but even though it really wasn't okay, and I think that's why I kept picking relationships, you know, you know, with alcoholic, you know, the narcissist, um, you know, trying to find somebody to fulfill me. When in reality, I need to fulfill myself and I need to put myself first and have positive intentions for myself. Um, I think the hardest thing coming out of it to learn was to wrap my head around what had happened, um, you know, and then I would get angry. You know, I had times where I, I would be, you know, mad, like, you know, how dare this person come into my life and do what they did. But I had to also take responsibility for that myself. And so I had to work through that, you know, as why I allowed that to happen, what I could do differently going forward if I was to get into a relationship in the future. Um, you know and what and learn the red flags. that was another huge thing just simple simple little red flags i can look back now at the beginning with my ex, and i mean i can see red flags from the beginning just as simple as the fact that he just you know you know wanted to meet me so quickly and within two weeks it was like oh, i've been looking for you my whole life i thought you didn't exist all of that those were huge red flags but i didn't know what red flags were back then um so it's just been, it's been a lot of inner work, a lot of soul searching, a lot of learning to to love myself, you know. And then I didn't realize I didn't love myself until I started going through, you know, all of the healing process and really going through the layers of the relationship um, and what happened, and realizing I need to I need to put myself first. I I need no one's gonna love me more than how I should love myself. Um, so that's kind of how I started healing.
2: When it comes to your relationship with your son now being the most important, uh, you know, thing to fix, you, 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 you did, a you know, you, you did your work on yourself. And now when it comes to your son, you had a glimmer of hope there. And then, um, things kind of went back to how they were, where do you go from here as far as that? Uh, goes, that relationship goes, and um, what would, not that you have a strategy to get back in, but how are you mentally dealing with all of that um, and where it is right now?
0: So that's a really good question. Um, I've realized that the only thing I can control in my life is me and my reactions. I know that my intentions are good, um, and I know that one day, I will be able to see my granddaughter, and hopefully have. Well, I will, and that's not even hopefully. I will have a relationship with her. Hopefully, it's sooner rather than later. Um, but I've learned to. I can't control the situation. There's nothing that I can do. These are his choices, and I just have to respect that. You know, I I have sent him. You know, messages. You know, saying you know, my my. If you want to sit down and talk, I will listen. You know, I won't get defensive. I won't, you know, try to explain my side. I'll just listen and respect it. Um, You know, and I need to respect what his choices are. So I've just tried to move on, knowing there's nothing I can do about it right now. Um, My granddaughter just turned a year old, and so I sent a present. And so I'm just doing little things like that. And, you know, when I'm ready, I will, you know, continue to reach out to him with, you know, messages just to tell him I love you unconditionally. I'm your mom. I will always be here for you. You know, reach out to me anytime and just have to wait for him to make that choice. But I think what I've learned most, I can't control people's reactions to situations. And also, I think what I've learned is that this is my life and I have to do what's best for me. And I can't people please. And that was a huge thing for me as always trying to keep the peace, keep all that, you know, the ducks in a row, keep all, you know, the the, the eggs where they need to be you know, not, you know, not ruffle people's feathers. And I know now I just, I know my truth. I know that I'm a good person. I know what happened to me was, you know, I was victimized, you know, which then made me the survivor that I am today. And with my son, I just, you know, I pray every day, you know, for him to come back to me when he's ready. Um, But he hasn't, you know, healed whatever in him that needs to heal. You know, so all I can do is wait, um, and I can't, you know, live my life by what if. Um, I can just hope he comes back, and while I'm waiting, just keep going on with my life and helping other people. And if they are going through this situation, something similar to mine, that there is light at the end of the tunnel, and they're strong enough, and they will get through it.
2: So before we end off your update, for the second time, Do you have any words of uh, wisdom or advice for everyone listening?
0: You know, the classic saying goes, "Is two shall pass." Um, I think that we're put through things when we don't understand them, Um, but to be strong, um, and it's hard and it's scary, especially dealing with a narcissist because they're so controlling and it's just it's exhausting, it's mentally draining. But to continue to learn to do self love. For yourself every day do something for yourself every day no matter for thirty minutes that's what five percent of the day just something and just keep working on yourself there's, there's some great books out there there's you know the, all kinds of different resources out there and just keep growing you know journaling um, write down what, you know what it is that you want in life your top five things I did that and I actually forgot I did that and I did it when I was still with my app and I actually came across it about a week ago. And I had crossed everything off the list without even realizing that I was. So I don't know if I have any great wisdom, you know, to share, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. And you're going to all of a sudden be in the light. You're going to be on that other side without even realizing that you got there. All of a sudden, one day you're going to wake up and you're going to be like, I did it. I am strong and I did it and I am capable and I am worthy of being in a relationship with somebody that's amazing. Um, And that relationship, I think, really starts with yourself.
2: Well, Mallory, I think you should be really proud of yourself. You've done a tremendous amount of work in the last year. You've gone through a lot. You know, you've finished a divorce. You started a new career. And you've done a lot of inner work, which takes a lot of work and you're doing it every single day. So you should really be so proud of yourself that you got here and uh, I hope nothing but the best for you and your relationship with your children to heal and uh, that you just continue to move forward and be a champion of um, those that don't have a voice themselves and help them through the same thing you went through.
0: Yep, that's my ultimate goal, (laughs) is just to help people. I talk to people all the time with very similar situations that know they're in a situation, they don't know how to get out, and there is a way, that there is a way. I left, just as a reminder, when I left, I left with nothing, but the things that I owned, you know, my clothes, my personal items, that's it. I was locked out of the bank account within two hours of me leaving, um, and haven't gotten a dime from him since, and I've done it all by myself for the past year year and a half actually almost two years um so it can be done so i am proud of myself every day every day i love the difference that i'm making
2: well i again want to thank you for coming back being a guest with us one more time and you're a friend of the show so thank you so much for being you and just you know being part of our community so big thank you
0: absolutely and thank you for having such you know a great podcast that helps people because all everybody has a story to share and it it resonates with people and it's so important
2: well thank you and you're welcome And now for those of you who want to be a guest on our show, like Janet was today and how Mallory was again today, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com and at the top of the page, there is a button that says guest form. And when you click on that button, it takes you to our guest form page. There's lots of instructions there. Please do read the instructions. And then after you read those, then fill out our guest form or send us an email at narcissistapocalypse at gmail.com. And then also at our website at narcissistapocalypse.com, we have our very own safe social network. So at the top of the page, if you press if you press press, if you press on that support group button. It takes you to our very own safe social network where we have our own forum boards where people are posting and we answer. We have our own Zoom meetings on Wednesday nights and Saturday nights and every other Thursday afternoon. We have episodes that never made it to air. We have episodes that are completely ad-free. And if you just want to support our show, please do join our support group. It helps us out a lot. So please do that do that. Uh, uh, I'm flipping over all my words today. So please do that at NarcissistApocalypse.com and press that support group button at the top of the page. And if you need even more support, please do go to DomesticShelters.org. So if you are someone you know are experiencing abuse, you are not alone. DomesticShelters.org offers you an extensive library of articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you are experiencing and they can connect you with local resources so you can find ways to heal and move forward. So please do go to domestic shelters.org to access this free resource today. And once again, I really want to thank Janet. She did a tremendous job today. It was not a very easy thing to do what she did today. So big, big thank you and a big thank you to Mallory as well. And now For myself, Janet, and Mallory, we hope you have a good night.